0: Good morning, and welcome to Sunday Morning with Love and Action. I am Ken Tuck. Thank you for joining me today. Hope your day is going well. Last Sunday, I mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast that spring had sprung. (laughs) Well, spring has sprung, but man, it turned a little cool on us this past week, didn't it? But we know that's going to happen in March, and we're getting that cool spell, and I'm not complaining one bit because I know when the heat is turned up come summertime, we'll have it for a long time. So praise God for the cooler temps. And I hope it's going well with you today and hope you're ready to get into the word of God this morning. We are getting closer to Resurrection Sunday, actually just three weeks away, April 9th. We celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And today's message, we're going to talk about Jesus and who he is. We're going to take a closer look at our Lord and Savior, so I hope you will stay tuned for that. But before we get into his word, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus, thanking you for your son Jesus. Thank you for the most incredible, indescribable gift that we've ever received. And that's your son, Jesus Christ, coming to this earth, living a perfect life, showing us how to live, being our example of how we should live this life, and then suffering and dying for our sins, taking our punishment. And then on the third day, praise God, you raise Jesus back to life, and Jesus, you live forever. You're at the right hand of the Father even now, praying for us, interceding for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the eternal life that you do give us, you offer us. Lord, you paid it all. It came at a heavy price, but you paid that price, and you offer it free to us. I pray that anyone who's listening this morning who has not received that gift, your gift of eternal salvation, forgiveness of sin, victory over death. I pray that today will be their day, that they call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Father, I pray for believers who are listening this morning. I pray, God, for just joy unspeakable as we talk about you, when we think about you. Lord, as we go through our daily lives, knowing that you are in us, you're with us, and Lord Jesus, you have saved us. And that's the message we need to tell others. So God, I pray we'll be obedient to that, be obedient to your word. Father, we ask you to just take this time, bless it. Father, may everything I say, Lord, come from you. Lord, may we have ears to hear what you want to say to us this morning. Holy Spirit, teach us. And I pray that we'll be doers of your word, Father, and not hearers only. We love you. We praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's start off this morning with a question. When you say the name of Jesus, or you hear the name of Jesus, what comes to mind? Do you think he's the Son of God? He's Lord. He's Savior. He's King. He's God. And all of those are correct. Maybe you're not a believer this morning, so when you hear the name of Jesus, you, you really don't know what to think. You may have heard some things about him. Uh, you may think, well, he was a prophet. He was a teacher. He was a religious leader. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about Jesus, and I I pray just really paint a great picture, a strong picture, powerful picture of who Jesus truly is and why we worship this King of Kings, this Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, because that's who he is. He is the one and only son of God. He is Lord of all, savior of mankind, and he is King of Kings. He's almighty God. Let me ask you another question. Are you in awe of him when you say his name? I wonder sometimes if we truly understand who Jesus is. Even those who may have given your life to Jesus years ago just haven't, still haven't come into that understanding because you hadn't been walking with him closely and you hadn't been getting into his word. That's what we need to do. When we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we need to dive into his word and just soak in as much of his word as we possibly can and just walk with Jesus closer Day by day by day, as we go through this life. Because if we do truly understand who Jesus is, then we would always hold him in the highest honor with awe and amazement. And today we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul wrote about Jesus in Colossians. So let's turn to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And as I always say, if you're driving, keep your hands on the steering wheel, keep looking ahead (laughs) and listen. Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 23 and Paul writes He is the image of the invisible God, he being Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's talk a little bit about Paul's audience here, which you and I are part of that audience. But when he originally wrote this through the Holy Spirit, He was writing to Christians in a city called Colossae, which was in Asia Minor, which today is modern, modern modern-day Turkey. And it's believed that most of his audience were Gentiles who'd become believers, so he's writing to the church. There were Jews there in Colossae and throughout Asia Minor, what we call Turkey today. Paul's audience was a house church in Colossae. And it's actually not a church that he planted. Rather, it appears it was planted by a gentleman by the name of Ephesus. And he traveled to Ephesus when Paul was preaching there. And then he responded to Paul's gospel message by returning back to Colossae and sharing the good news there. Thus, this house church was planted. So Paul, he writes this letter to address a dangerous teaching that was infiltrating the church at that time, and he also wanted to encourage the believers in their growth in Christian maturity. Just like we all need to grow in our Christian maturity, Paul is encouraging them as well as us to grow in Christian maturity. And we know there were Jewish influence as well as mystical influence in Colossae. And while this dangerous teaching isn't exactly known exactly what it is, Paul does hear that the teaching devalues Christ and fails to appreciate the new identity of believers in Christ. So he writes this letter, and it's a letter of warning as well as a letter of encouragement. One of the known heresies that was being taught at that time was actually the denial of the deity of Christ. And Paul combats that element of heresy with emphatic defense of Christ's deity, and that's what we have here. That's what we're reading here in in Colossians. And Paul, while he's combating that, that heresy and any other heresies that were being taught at that time, he does not minimize the threat presented by demonic powers, but he emphasizes the supremacy of Christ over all powers, and he asserts the unity of Christians with the exalted Christ. And that entails their sharing in his power and authority. That's you and I sharing in the power and authority of Jesus Christ. And Paul also takes this opportunity to encourage believers to press on to maturity in Christ by continuing their battle against sin, pursuing holiness in Christ, and learning to live as distinctively Christian households. And see see how God's word is always relevant? You know, Paul wrote that letter to that church in Colossae, but God intended it not only for them, but for you and me and everybody who's been a part of the body of Christ since this writing. And so God's word is always relevant. Don't let anybody fool you into saying, well, that's an old book. Date wise, yes, it is. But God's word is alive, His his word is living, His word is active. And it's sharper than a two-edged sword, the word of God tells us. And so it's very relevant for today. And we see that in Colossae, there's all these heresies going on. And there's heresies that are taught today. There are people who will try to tell you that Jesus was not divine, that he was a man. And they're partly right, Jesus was fully man, but he was also fully God. So there's still that teaching is still out there. And there's all kinds of heresies that are still being taught today. Angel worship was going on in that city at that time. And we know that takes place today. God does not want us worshiping any deity but him. He's the one true most high God. He is the one we are to worship and give all of our worship to, not to anything or anyone else. We give it all to him. And being believers then we need to live this life as we are believers, You know, to show forth the love of God to others, to show forth his mercy and his grace to others, to share this hope that we have in Christ with others. And Paul is encouraging that here. In Colossians, Paul presents the all-supremacy, the all-sufficiency, the uniqueness, and the fullness of the person and work of Jesus Christ as the God-man Savior. The creator and the sustainer of the universe and the total solution of man's needs both for time and eternity. See what I said at the beginning? Do we truly understand who Jesus is? And as we dig into scripture, we see just how amazingly awesome Jesus is and who he truly is. And we see that the major theme here in Colossians is the deity and the soul sufficiency of Jesus Christ as mediator and head of all creation and of the church. And that's what we're looking at today. I pray that through this teaching, we will have a true, stronger understanding of who Jesus is. And not only that, that it will strengthen our faith in him, but also will help guard us against false teaching as the Colossians were battling. And if you don't know Jesus, I pray this teaching will help you better understand who he is so you can look to him and make that decision to surrender your life to him. So let's look at how Paul describes who Jesus is. He starts out writing about Jesus and his relationship to God. In verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That word image, it means likeness. Jesus is the very stamp of God the Father as he was before the incarnation and is now. As Jesus says in John 14, verse nine, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is the perfect image, the exact likeness of God, and is in the very form God, and has been so from all eternity. Jesus is both the representation and the manifestation of God. We talked this past week in our theology class about the different attributes of God, and one of the things we talked about were ways that God manifested himself to people in the Bible like we looked at Moses and the burning bush. God spoke to Moses through the burning bush. God led the children of Israel through the wilderness by a pillar of cloud during the daytime and fire at night. And then we know the greatest manifestation of God is Jesus Christ. And we see Jesus in the New Testament and he is the perfect manifestation of God. Thus, Jesus is fully God in every way. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the power of his word. Jesus in every conceivable way exactly represents the father. Now not in physical likeness of course because God is spirit. The son being God reveals to us men and women by his word and ways exactly what God is like. So Jesus, everything that God is, we see in Jesus. Jesus is, I love that phrase, the very stamp of God the Father. He is God, and he's in human form. And he has every characteristic, every attribute of God is perfect in him because he is the Son of God. He is God. Therefore, when he came to earth as a man, he showed us what God is like and who God truly is. As we read in Hebrews, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. So Jesus speaks, and his powerful word sustains life, holds matter together, and maintains the universe in proper order. It is by him, by Jesus, that all things hold together, Colossians 1.17. That's Jesus. That is our powerful Lord and Savior. He holds all things together. So as I mentioned, when we think about him, if we truly understand who Jesus is, we will just be in total awe of him and just want to magnify him and glorify him, knowing that he died for us, took our punishment for us, and wants to live in us, forgive us, give us eternal life so we can be with him forever. This Lord, this Savior who holds all things together, he wants us to be with him, and he did all that for us. How can we not want to live for him? How can we not want to magnify and glorify him and be in awe of who Jesus truly is? When we read back in Genesis, we see that God originally placed Adam on the earth to represent his interest, and we know that Adam failed. Therefore, God sent his only begotten son into the world as his representative to take care of his interests and to reveal his heart of love to man. God created this world. He created everything in it. And he put Adam and Eve in the garden and told them to take care of things, and they didn't. They succumbed to sin, and sin ripped that relationship totally apart between man and God. And we see the effects of sin upon the earth. And just the fact that there is death uh, represents that there is sin. But then Jesus came. God sent Jesus to take away our sins so we can live with him forever. So we see Jesus in his relationship to God. Now let's look at Jesus, his relationship to creation. In verses 15 through 17, 15b, the second part of 15, through verse 17, the firstborn of all creation, talking about Jesus, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That word, that expression, firstborn, it has at least three different meanings in Scripture. And let's look at that because it's important to understand what firstborn of creation means in the Scripture we just read in Colossians. Because people who like to teach that Jesus wasn't divine, this takes that and throws it right out the window, okay? So let's look at the meaning of firstborn in Scripture. There's three different meanings, as I mentioned. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, it's used in a literal sense where Mary brought forth her firstborn son. And so, of course, there it means that the Lord Jesus was the first child to whom she gave birth. Then we look back in Exodus chapter 4, verse 22. On the other hand there, it's used in a figurative sense. Israel is my son, even my firstborn. That's God speaking. And in that verse, there is no thought of an actual birth having taken place. But the Lord is using this word to describe The distinctive place which the nation of Israel had in his plans and purposes. So Israel was his firstborn. He's the one who has called them his chosen people. And so therefore, they are firstborn. But it's not like an actual birth, like Mary giving birth to her firstborn child. So you see the difference there. And then finally, in Psalms chapter 89, verse 27. The word firstborn is used to designate a place of superiority, of supremacy, of uniqueness. There, God says that he will make David, his firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. Now, David, he was actually the lastborn son of Jesse, according to the flesh. But God determined to give him a place of unique supremacy, primacy, sovereignty. Is not that exactly the thought of Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, the firstborn of all creation, The Lord Jesus Christ is God's unique Son. And in one sense, all believers are sons of God. When we come to Christ, we surrender our lives to Him, we become sons and daughters of God. If we haven't, we're a creation of God, but we're not His child yet. When we give our lives to Jesus, and He's Lord of our lives, He's our Savior, then we are then part of the family of God, and we get the inheritance of eternal life and everything that the Son, Jesus, has, we have. But the Lord Jesus is God's son in a way that is not true of any other. He existed before all creation, and Jesus occupies a position of supremacy over all of it, over all creation, and his is the rank of eminence, of dominion. The expression of firstborn over all creation has nothing to do with birth here. It simply means that he is God's son by an eternal relationship. Because since our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ existed before all things, he must be uncreated, right? He's not a created being. He's always been. Since he's uncreated, he is eternal. And since he is eternal, he is God. He is also the natural ruler and the acknowledged head of God's household. So the word firstborn here doesn't mean that Jesus was the first created being, but speaks of his eternal sonship. Jesus has always been. I know it's hard to wrap our earthly minds around. Jesus has always been. With God, there's no beginning. There's no end. He's just always been, always has been. Because think about it. If. God was created, then whoever created him would be greater than God. But we know there is nothing, no one, no being greater than God. So God is eternal, which means he's always been. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has always been. He was not created. He is timelessly and eternally the word of God who became flesh in Jesus, the Messiah, in the relationship of firstborn son to the Father. So Jesus has always been. He wasn't the first created he is the creator. and He is over all creation. We read, through him and by him all things were created, and he holds all things together. That's Jesus. That's our Savior. That's our Lord, Jesus Christ. And to further define the word firstborn, what it means here in verse 15, let's look closer uh, at its use. Uh, it means Jesus is the highest in rank over all, not the first created and for several reasons here. One, Christ cannot be both the first begotten and the only begotten as we see in John chapter 3 verse 16 where Jesus is the only begotten son of God. So if he's the only begotten there would be no other Begotten's after him, but there'll be no other birth after him. So if he was the first created being in creation, but if he was the only begotten one, then that pretty much puts the end to creation, doesn't it? So he can't be first in creation because he's always been. He wasn't created, but he was the only begotten son of the Father to come here to Earth to pay our price of sin, to pay that price for us. Two, when the firstborn is one of a class, the class is in the plural form. But creation, as we read here in Colossians, the class here is in a singular form. Thirdly, if Paul was teaching that Christ was a created being, he was agreeing with the heresy that he was writing to refute. So that wouldn't make sense either. And then fourthly, it's impossible for Christ to be both created and the creator of everything. Thus, Jesus is the firstborn in the sense that he has the preeminence and possesses the right inheritance of over all creation. He existed before the creation and is exalted in rank above it. So firstborn of creation, he is over it all. He has, as we read preeminence, he has authority over all creation in heaven and on earth. That's our Jesus. And he's always been, he's eternal. So we see Jesus' relationship to God. We see Jesus' relationship to creation Now let's look at his relationship to the church. In verse 18, we read, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus is the head of the church, the head of his body. The church is called the body of Christ. The church is not a building. The church is made up of people, you and me, who are believers in Christ. We are the church. The Reverend John Lightfoot, who was a prominent 17th century clergyman and scholar, he said, Jesus is the head, the inspiring, ruling, guiding, combining, sustaining power, the mainspring of its activity, the center of its unity, and the seat of its life. That's powerful. I like that. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. Here, Here's that word firstborn again. Our Lord was the first fruits from among the dead. He's the also the source of life, because he conquered death. He conquered death and came back to life to live and reign forever and to give us life so that we spiritually won't ever have to die spiritually. These bodies are going to wear out, but spiritually we won't have to. So he is the source of life. We can be with him forever. Paul shows how Christ is the beginning of the new spiritual life of the church by his resurrection. Jesus comes forth from among the dead as the firstborn, issues from the womb. He's the first to come back from the dead and never die again. As believers in Jesus, as he arose from the dead and conquered death, we will be just like him and not experience spiritual death, but go to be with him forever. Now, we know Jesus wasn't the first to be raised from the dead. We can read back in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 17, about Elijah raising a child back to life. In 2 Kings chapter 4, we read about Elijah raising a child back to life. And in 2 Kings chapter 13, a dead man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as that dead body hit the bones of Elisha, the man came back to life. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus raised a young man back to life. The young man was the only son of a widow. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus raised the young daughter of Jairus, who was a synagogue ruler, back to life. And in John chapter 11, probably the most famous, most well-known of all people being raised from the dead other than Jesus is when Jesus raised his friend Lazarus of Bethany back to life. However, they all eventually died again and didn't rise up out of their grave again. Jesus, on the other hand, he rose from the grave to never die again. He was the first to rise with a glorified body, and he rose as the head of a new creation. His resurrection is unique And it's the pledge that all who trust in him will also rise again. It proclaims him as supreme in the spiritual creation. Jesus is supreme over all. Jesus conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered Satan when he rose up from that grave. And he's the only one who's ever done that. Buddha didn't do that. Muhammad didn't do that. No other God or prophet, teacher ever did that. Jesus died on that cross. And on the third day, God raised him back to life. And there's so much proof about him being raised from the dead. And we know that he ascended to heaven, and he's at the right hand of the Father, and he's coming back. And how do I know he's coming back? Because he says so. Jesus fulfilled 330 prophecies from the Old Testament. That's 98% of prophecies about the Messiah. So there's only 2% left. You know what? He fulfilled 98%. He's going to fulfill that last 2%. And that's him coming back to judge he came the first time to, to save, to serve. He's coming back second time to judge. So I want to ask you, do you know this Jesus that I've been talking about this morning? This Jesus who is the very image of God, who is God in the flesh. This Jesus who created, everything was created by him and for him and through him. And he holds all things together. Do you know this Jesus who is the head of the church? This Jesus who is supreme, preeminence has authority over all. Do you know him? He knows you, and he loves you. He died for you, and he offers you an opportunity here in this life to ask him to forgive you, and I, I want to share that with you before we end today. If you say, hey, this Jesus, I I really want him in my life. I realize I need him. There's something missing, and he's what's missing. Then giving your life to him is as easy as A, B, C. A, admit you're a sinner. Admit to God, God, I've sinned. I've sinned against you. And then, B, believe Jesus is Lord and rose again. And C, commit your life to following Jesus' teachings. We see in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, confess your sins to God. Go straight to God. Confess your sins to God. He is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness. So there, you're confessing, God, I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. Forgive me. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 tells us, confess that Jesus is Lord, And believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and we shall be saved. So there be, we're believing that Jesus is Lord and rose again. And we're confessing that to him. Lord, I believe that you rose from that grave on the third day. And I I confess you as my Lord and Savior. And then C, commit your life to following Jesus' teachings. Jesus, I want to commit my life to you. I give you my life. Help me to understand how you want me to live this life now. And I know you will. So just pray to him. Ask him to forgive you. Believe that he died and rose again. Confess him as Lord and ask him to help you day by day to live this life for you. And he will. I want to encourage you also to tell somebody. Tell somebody that you've decided to follow Jesus. Tell, tell another believer. Uh, if you want to, you can contact me here at Love in Action. You can email at Ken.Tuck at LoveInActionMinistries.com. Ken.Tuck at LoveInActionMinistries.com. Or you can call our office here is 334 334- four nine four four nine nine five. That's three three four four nine four four nine nine five. I would love to talk with you, love to give you some next steps. It's an awesome next step. All the steps after we decide to follow Jesus are awesome. Because he's he's with us and we get to live for this Jesus who I've talked about today. We get to live with him, we get to live for him and we get to be with him forever. So I just want to encourage you in that today. And if you are a believer, tell people about Jesus. They need to know so they can have an opportunity to give their lives to Jesus. Well, I hope this teaching has been of help to you. I hope it's brought a even greater understanding of who Jesus is. And if you do have any questions, anybody out there, please feel free to contact me. And I would love to, love to hear from you. Well, we are out of time, and I just can't thank you enough for joining me today on Sunday Morning with Love and Action. And I hope you'll come back next week at 1030, and we will open up the Word of God once again. I hope you have a great week, and just know that Jesus, He loves you so much. And I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.